tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 has any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio oh hello here we are again, and well, I know you wouldn't expect anything less, but my computers are, they just don't like me. I mean, really. This is the worst And I don't know that I life. like. The worst no, it's your not. So far. <laughs> That's wisely put, Homer. Oh, well. Where's oh, the any along. key? There doesn't seem to be any any key. There certainly isn't. Well, let's pray. Ah, I got into the what I, the screen I was supposed to get into. I was supposed to get into the screen, and all I could see was a picture of a galaxy, like space aliens had taken over my... Oh, I'll stop complaining and let's pray. In the I name award of the Father, you no the points, the... and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. And I forgot Saints Peter and Paul pray for us. Big, big, big feast day today. Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. It is a solemnity. All right. We're going to look at both, at all of, there's six readings. Oh boy, kid in the candy store here. But, well, I'll try to hit all six readings, but, um, I got a theory. I'll start with I'll start with my harebrained theory about about the letter to the Romans. It is clear. Thank you very much. It is clear that there were Christians um, in Rome very early on, but <coughs> they were kicked out by Emperor Claudius. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, our, Canadian air. Um, our, our brother green. Paul, our, uh, they were, yeah. Uh, the, the, um, you know, it's interesting that in the letter to the Romans, St. Peter's not mentioned. People wonder, uh, um, um, about the relationship between Peter and Paul. And in 2 Peter 3.15, we read, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. You know uh, that that um, this is for the folks who who uh, uh, were anticipating an imminent return of Christ. And Peter said, "You know, we're looking forward to to the Lord's coming, uh, but um, uh, you know, don't don't 
don't neglect to live in the world. This is a constant theme. And there's so many people who look at St. Paul's first and second letter to the Thessalonians and say that, that Paul was expecting an imminent uh, return of Christ. And I think it says exactly the opposite. He says, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, translating loosely here. He says at one point, don't give up your day job. You know, uh, keep working. Some of you go about uh, not being busy, but by being but being busy bodies. So you know, in in Second Peter three fifteen, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. In other words, the longer the Lord tarries, the better, because more people will come to know Him. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, uh, and then he goes on to say he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures, to their own destruction. Now, a lot of people would say, well, Second Peter was not really written by Peter. You know, my prejudice in these things is to is to unless there's really good reason to think otherwise, to go with the tradition uh, that Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew and John wrote the Gospel of John and St. Peter wrote Second Peter. And I don't see reason uh, that he might. Now, this here is uh, probably a strong reason. Uh, there are things that are harder, uh, uh, hard to understand, which ignorant and, and unstable people distort um, as they do other scriptures. And they're saying that... that um, uh, um, uh, well, <laughs> clearly, if if Saint Paul's letters were were taken to be scripture, <laughs> that means that this was written after there was essentially a scriptural canon. They're forgetting what the word is in Greek. It's thasloipas grafas, the other writings. The word scripture just means writing, and doesn't necessarily refer to sacred writing. So I don't think that's enough reason to think that St. Peter's second letter was written long after Peter. People may look at it in Greek, but they hear it in their own language, that these are the, he, he's treating St. Paul's letters as scripture. No, he's treating them as all those other writings. Uh, so, all right. Well, that said, let's go back to the, <laughs> to the scriptures. We now regard them as scriptures because they're written by the Holy Spirit. So, I think it's very interesting that this is the one place in which Peter talks about Paul in the scripture. And I, I have, I have, I find no reason to think it wasn't written by St. Peter about St. Paul. Now, back to my harebrained theory. I think that the letter to the Romans is the constitutive document of the Roman Catholic Church. As I was saying, there were Christians in Rome from the very beginning, uh, and uh, they were kicked out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius around 50 AD, give or take a few years. Um, I'd have to look to find the precise date. Well, we don't really know the precise date, but it's it's around then. Which we, it's What is that, dear voice in my head? I haven't gotten to the readings yet. I'm giving background. There, there. Okay. I talk a lot before I actually have something to say. Well, let's get back to the theory here that, that uh, St. Paul and St. Peter went to Rome to not to establish the church, but to reestablish it because Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome, including the Christians who were considered a Jewish sect, because there were riots over one Christus, which probably was Christ. We read that, I think, in, in the writings of Suetonius. So 
Paul met Priscilla and Aquila, who had been exiled from Rome by the Emperor Claudius, and I think he saw his opportunity to write an epistle on a sort of Talmudic way that Greeks and Jews could be reconciled. It's all about the reconciliation of Greeks and Jews, and thus about the universality of the church, that that you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian, which we would say, of course, that's, well, that wasn't true in, in 50, 52 AD, that, that there were large numbers of people thought, you got to be a, a practicing Orthodox uh, kosher-keeping Jew to, to, to be a follower of Christ. And St. Paul wrote this letter saying, saying how we can be in the same church as Jews and Gentiles. And thus he established, in a sense, the universality of the church. Peter went there to, I think, reorganize the church and, uh, and to reestablish it on safer grounds when it, Nero came in because Nero's wife was very pro-Jewish. Sabina Popea was very uh, partisan to Jews. And well, then Nero killed her. But um, that, that's later. That's a story for another day. He kicked, literally kicked her to death when she was pregnant. But moving on from that. Um, so I think that the letter of the Romans is a very foundational document. St. Paul ended up there under arrest, but St. Peter went there to reestablish the church and thus Peter and Paul are both buried in Rome, and we celebrate their feast together. As the uh, <laughs> the voice emerges, said, "Not for a plate of pasta." Well, that's that's that helped, I'm sure. <laughs> the food was good. All right, so now let's go to the readings. Peter and Paul were going up to the temple area for the three o'clock hour of prayer. If you look at the Greek text, it's really the ninth hour of prayer. Remember, for Jews, the day ended at sunset. Sunset might have been about six. Sunrise about six. So. This would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon as they kept time. Hours did not have 60 minutes. They weren't precise. In certain seasons of the year, hours were longer or shorter, uh, depending on where the sun stood in the sky. So uh, you had the morning and evening sacrifice. Uh, in this, they... No, unions wouldn't stand for it. Well, at the 3 o'clock hour of prayer, uh, the, the, um, <clears throat> this meant that they... They were going for the evening sacrifice. The liturgy of the hours is an adaptation of the Jewish custom of having the morning and the evening sacrifice. And I think it's very important to remember that, that, that not only is the Eucharist something that harkens back to the sacrifice of Abram, the binding of Isaac, but the liturgy of the hours goes back to the covenant of Sinai, that you have morning and evening prayers. And there were psalms that were recited in the temple, with that morning and evening sacrifice. And and uh, uh, that's the origin of the liturgy of hours. That's what they were going for, was that evening sacrifice. They continued as observant Judeans uh, for the beginning of their of their time uh, as, 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 as Christians. And they were at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate. There's a lot of controversy about the Beautiful Gate. Nobody knows quite which gate it was. It could have been the Nicanor Gate, but then again, it couldn't have been the Nicanor Gate because that was within the temple courts, and the beggar wasn't there. They were going into the temple courts. The word used in the text is hieron, in temple, which means the sacred place. 
the central building where the god uh, dwelt in any temple was called the shrine, the naos, which comes from a Greek word meaning to dwell. And this building was called the mishkan, as was the tent in the den- desert, which means the dwelling place, the tabernacle. So they're going into the outer courts of the temple where Gentiles could go and a beggar would, of course, position himself where the most people would go in. The Nicanor Gate was where you went into the court of 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 the men, the court of, of of the men of Israel. And the Shushan Gate, very few people went in through that. It had a beautiful, some people theorize that is the beautiful gate because it had uh, carvings of, of the, I think, the city of Susa, Shushan. Um, but the beautiful gate is probably the double gate at the south end of the temple that you can see. It's there to this day. You can't go in it because it's bricked up, but the beautiful, beautiful plaster work on the inside to this day. And uh, so it was the main entrance to the temple on the south side. Um, and it had the big, uh, there were lots of ritual baths there for purification. So that's where this is happening. And a place that if you go to on pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you can go sit on the steps that Jesus walked on and where Peter uh, and, and John healed this this cripple. Neither silver nor gold do I have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. That's how he would have said it. Remember, Christ means Messiah. Peter took him by the right hand, raised him up, and he stood and leaped and walked around, and people saw this man, and they were amazed. You know, it's the thing to me that's amazing is Peter just did it. Uh, he didn't... He didn't uh, even think about it. Now, this this was, uh, 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 where does it say? I think it says, um, oh, good grief. Does it say, uh, I thought I saw that in the text, and I. it's been a long day. But um, uh, that, that uh, this didn't happen, I think, immediately after Pentecost. It, it happened a little further. Well, all right, let's go to the second, re- a little later line. I think it probably, I would put it, um, let's see here. Let me look at this just to make sure that I'm not making this up. Oh, bother. All right. There. Okay. Oh, no, that's 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 later. Never mind. Oh, bother. I was wrong about that. I made a huge mistake. Yeah, not a huge one. All right. Uh, so let's go to the second reading. Um, uh, I, Galatians, the first chapter, the 11 verse. You heard of my former way of life in Judaism. This is interesting because it's the word Judaism. And, you know, I'm always telling you that when you see the word Jew in Scripture, you should translate it Judean. But here's the word in the text is Judaism. Uh, I think that Judaism at that time probably was as much a political term as a religious term. We think of politics and religion as absolutely divorced. In the ancient world, they were absolutely uh, entangled with each other. You couldn't be political without being religious. You couldn't be religious without being political. So, um, you know, the Romans had their gods and the Greeks had their gods. And your god, who you worship, sort of said who you were. And this new Christian thing that that Paul is is talking about, that's not true. You can be a Greek, you can be a Jew, you can be a Spaniard and still worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and worship Christ as God and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So uh, he was a zealot for his ancestral traditions. Um, um, 
that that he he shares his testimony and he went up to Jerusalem to confer with Cephas or Kepha and remained there for 15 days. I think this is very important because this is the word for rock and we're going to see this uh, later on uh, but I'll, I'll mention it now that Kepha means rock in Aramaic. And there's so many people say, well, Petros means a chip off the rock, and Petra is rock. Yeah, but you can't have a, a word functioning as a name without having masculine or feminine and without having the appropriate ending. But in Aramaic, that's not true. This is Aramaic, and it's Kepha, which just means rock. He went to Jerusalem to confer with the rock, and he remained with him for 15 days. I did not see any of the other missionaries, for Apostle Reed Missionary, only James, the brother of the Lord. So, as to what I'm writing to you, behold, before God, I am not lying. This was an important thing for him. So, um, boy, I, I don't know that I want to go into this reading about feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Oh, I, I will. This is going to be long. I'm sorry. In this text, you know, Peter had denied Christ three times and had said, I never knew the man, and he cursed and he swore. So Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, doesn't call him Kepha this time. He says, um, uh, do you love me more than these others do? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus asked him if he has agape for him, sacrificial love. Peter says, you know that I have philia for you, fraternal love. In other words, do you love me sacrificially? No, I love you like, you know, I, I love you like a friend. Second time, Jesus says, do you love me sacrificially? Peter says, you know, I love you like a friend. The third time, Jesus says, so you love me like a friend. And it says that Peter was distressed. It's a very strong word that he said to him a third time. On, on the third time, he said, so you love me like a friend. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you like a friend. Two different words. People say, oh, same thing. It is not the same thing. Agape is a different form of love than philia. Agape is sacrificial love, the love that doesn't hope for a return, the love of an adult, the innocent love of an adult for a small child. Philia means friendship. It means affection. It can mean, during this period, it could mean things that I don't want to discuss on this show. Um, so uh, we're listening to the first confession of the first pope. He's saying, Lord, I don't love you the way I should. And then he says, uh, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and where you went where you wanted. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he said this, he said to him, follow me. He renewed his vocation, his calling. He He's saying to Peter, you're going to learn to love me sacrificially. And Peter didn't learn that until the last hours of his life. When Peter's wife, who was traveling with him, and this comes from early Christian authors, when Peter's wife, who was traveling with him, um, was taken off to execution herself, he looked at her and said, remember the Lord. I think she must have been thinking that day when she thought she, her mother was dying and Jesus came in and healed her. The last words of this good man, Peter, uh, were to his wife. Were, remember, remember, uh, excuse me, remember the Lord. So I think that's a very significant thing. You know, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back and the phones will be open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. 
Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. I'm back in the saddle again Out where a friend is a friend Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly jimson weed I'm back well, in the saddle again We're taking calls again <laughs> That's why the voice in my head is playing this song We're taking calls again at 888-914-9149 We did get through some letters, but I got more letters People keep doing that 888 Oh, I got some calls already, I noticed. Well, but let's go back to uh, the reading, because I just saw something shiny. <laughs> okay. The, last night, the readings were for the vigil, because it's a solemnity, and we follow the Jewish custom on solemnities of beginning the day in the evening. That's why we can have Mass on Saturday night for Sunday, because it's already Sunday. We follow this ancient custom, because they've done it in monasteries since the beginning. Uh, um, the, the, um, uh, you have the first Vespers of Sunday, which is on Saturday night and second Vespers, which is on Sunday night. So we've, we've never stopped reckoning the day as, as, uh, uh, as Israel did it. All right. Well, let's, let's look at the mastering the day just briefly. And, uh, then maybe I'll have some time for letters, but I wanted to mention this. In those days, King Herod, this is a son of King Herod, which I can't remember which Herod this would be. Let's see if I can find that out easily. Um, uh, this was, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Herod Agrippa. He ruled Judea from AD 41 to 44. Um, uh, the, the note I'm looking at says uh, he didn't assign a motive for the execution of James. Uh, and he wanted to execute Peter, but it was because he wanted to please people for a political reason, I'm sure. All right. <clears throat> the, uh, um, he arrests Peter. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So this is at least a year, and I would bet it's more than a year, at least a year after the, the uh, death and resurrection of the Lord, because it was the Feast of Passover. And so he sent him under guard and uh, four squads of soldiers. Uh, that means he had 16 soldiers because there was, you know, a lot of Christians by that time. Uh, so on the very night Herod was to bring him to trial, uh, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and uh, there were guards outside while a light shone in his cell and the angel of the Lord was there. He tapped Peter on the side and said, get up quickly. The chains fell from his wrist. Put on your belt and sandals. And uh, not realizing what was happening to the, the, to the angel was really thought he was seeing a vision. So, you know, this idea of visionary Christianity, it, it was a visionary time and visions are real. Not every vision is real, but visions are real things. Um, so they passed the guards and uh, there he is out of the way. But very interestingly, the angel says, what does this translate? He says, put on your belt and your sandals. And did you just notice when Jesus is talking to Peter, they will put, take your belt and put it on you and take you where you would not go? 
I think that's interesting that the belt is mentioned here too. And the, it's the verb belt yourself. In other words, uh, tie your clothes up because, uh, you know, you lay down to sleep, you're in a tunic and you got a belt on, you take the belt off and your shoes off. And there you lay down in your cloak and your, uh, and your tunic, you know, which is just sort of a long shirt that goes down. If it was a fancy one, it went down to the ankles. If it wasn't so fancy, it went down to probably just below the knees. Uh, so you'd belt it. And, uh, um, uh, he took off his belt to go to bed, and um, it says, belt yourself. In other words, tie your belt. Zosse is the word. Um, uh, uh, Zosse, or, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's the word, is it? I think so. Let me look. Is it Zosse? Yeah, Zosse. Um, same word used in both places. I just thought that was interesting. Well, I think a lot of things. Yeah, there's Raphael's painting, the voice I just mentioned. Beautiful, beautiful painting on that. <coughs> And then in the second reading, in Second Timothy, Paul says, I'm ready to, to be poured out like a libation. The time of my departure is at hand. Um, so probably this time he was acquitted. And Paul was acquitted according to the strong tradition and early Christian documents and then rearrested under Nero. And then, of course, in the gospel today, we have this bit about Peter upon this rock. And remember, Jesus is speaking to him in Aramaic, and that's why Paul, a number of times, uses the Aramaic word, kepha. He's clouding. He's using his title. He's saying, you're the kepha. You know, he didn't say, you're the chip off the rock. He said, you're kepha. You're the rock. Remember what Jesus told you. And in Rome, in St. Peter's Basilica, around... Uh, the the drum that holds up, the architectural drum that holds up the dome. In other words, tu es Petrus. This story is written there, tu es Petrus. You are a rock. And that's the first title of of this leader of the church. So, all right, um, let's go to a few letters, and we'll go a little early to the word of the day because, you know, I've been taking letters. I want to take phone calls, and, and uh, we'll do that uh, um, <clears throat> I'll give a little more time to phone calls. All right, let's look. All right, let's see here. That I think I dealt with that one. All right. Okay. Good grief. Go to, good grief. Let me go to the top of computer A. All right, all right. Let's see what this one is about. The other day, you read a lady's question about St. Philip being snatched in Revelation. The child of the woman was snatched up to God. Is this, well, let's look. Is this the same word? I believe it is. Um, <clears throat> okay. And, all right. There we go with the weight music. All right. All right. Here we go. The word in Acts 8.39 is, it's got to be from the word harpazo. Okay, yes, harpazo, and uh, I believe that's exactly the same word uh, that the woman was snatched uh, up to heaven. So, yes, they, it is the same word. Um, it's, I don't know if you ever heard the English word harpy, uh, uh, that, um, like harpo, no, not like harpo marks, that, that, though I, that, I wonder if that word is related. I'm, now I'm just drifting into pointless semantics. Uh, in in Revelations twelve five, which is the other passage to which you're referring, um, the the um, uh, 
Uh, it's the same word. Uh, I think that's interesting. And it's the same word as uh, the text in Thessalonians that says that we will be caught up in the air, we'll be snatched up. Now, it's interesting. The word rapture, the noun rapture, never appears in Scripture. But the verb to snatch, to snatch up, to to grab and to lift, uh, harpazo. There were, were mythological beasts that had the face and the top half of women and wings and the claws of a giant bird that were called the harpies in ancient Greek literature. And they would come and snatch things like an eagle might snatch a little lamb. The harpies would snatch what they wanted. So if you ever hear someone called a harpy, that's that means someone who is grabby. All right, let's see here. So, yeah, I... I I, th- I think that's interesting, but then again, I'm, I'm easy. All right, moving along here. Let's see here. This is, well, and the question that follows it uh, from uh, Mary uh, <clears throat> in Chicago. What does the Catholic Church teach about the rapture? We don't. We believe that the Lord will return and take us to be with him. It isn't, you know, the idea of, People disappearing all of a sudden, we're not so big on that. But what we talk about is the parousia. The parousia means the being there, being with you, that that Jesus said uh, that he would return and he would take us with him. It doesn't say that that, that kind of, you know, the, the those books uh, left behind that were popular because, of course, Christ was coming in 1968, I remember, and then again in 1972, and then again... Fire and brimstone you know, coming down from the skies. Yes, exactly. When when people tell that, say that, that oh, there's a, somebody who's prophesied the end of the world, and say, oh, good, I don't have to pay my visa bill then. I mean that humorously. Pay your visa bill. Um, the the uh, um, What we stress is the idea of the Lord being with us, that the Lord has said, that's what parousia means, the being with you, being there, being at your side, that the Lord will return. He's going to return to take us with him. In the, in the, the concept of the rapture, it's just, you know, somebody's driving a bus and disappears. Poof. Um, well, maybe that'll happen, but I don't know that that's how it'll be. I know the Lord will come and to take us home. That's the idea. And uh, that parousia is very interesting because that that goes on in every tabernacle. The Lord is still with us. Jesus said, "Behold, I am with you until the end of the day, of the world," and then he disappeared. So, if Jesus is not present in every tabernacle of the world, he was lying, but he wasn't lying, and he's with us in the Blessed Sacrament. The the, the Blessed Sacrament, in a certain sense, is the preview of the Second Coming. When we go into a church to pray in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, we're we're getting in the time machine and going to the end of all things and being with the Lord. I think it's a very beautiful thing that we have. So I hope that helps a little bit. Let me do one more letter just for the fun of it. Let's see here. Oh, good grief. Is this a long letter? No, this is good. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, Oh, this is a kind of uh, a prayer request uh, uh, that that Matthew. Oh, um, I won't say any more about that because he'd like to be anonymous. They had a, a positive pregnant uh, pregnancy test, um, and um, after a difficult full term pregnancy, um, um, 
and they're asking for prayer. So, Lord, these wonderful people uh, um, who are expecting a child, please bless them and give them a wonderful, wonderful uh, um, Lord, I'm so grateful that they want life. So um, we ask you to hear their, their, their fervent prayer. All right, let's see here. Um, can non-Catholics go to heaven if they never go to confession? Yes, they can. <clears throat> you know, the Lord expects <clears throat> more from us because he said, to those who more has been given, more will be expected. But anyone who genuinely loves the Lord and calls out to him, uh, the Lord hears. Now, I am expected for serious sin to go to confession because the Lord has has called me to a sacramental life, being a Catholic. So I I must do what the Lord, I must respond to the grace God has given me. Well, that's that's not any fun. I should be Protestant. Then I don't have to go to confession and tell my embarrassing sins to a priest. Why do we confess to a priest? Because in the letter of St. James, it says, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. This great gift of the confessional, which brings healing to the damage caused by sin, it's a great a great advantage. And, you know, I'm sure I've told you that I really believe purgatory is a real thing. I think it's one of the most beautiful doctrines doctrines of the Catholic Church, because it means that when we die, we don't stop growing. And we have a wonderful means on earth to absolve serious sin and restore our lives to grace. And believe me, Protestant Christians fall out of a state of grace, too. But we have this wonderful assurance and this wonderful way to restore the state of grace. And more than that, even for sins that do not cause us to lose our relationship to God, we have this wonderful sacrament of healing that helps us to draw closer to the Lord. So the sacrament of confession is a great gift. And if God has given me this gift and I say, I don't want it. Wait, what, 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 what? You can't do that. You're responsible to receive the gift of the Lord if he offers it to you. And that goes for, for Protestants who are, who are, uh, and for Catholics. And, you know, if someone's a Protestant and is being drawn into the fullness of the faith in the Catholic church, then I think that they need to respond to that. God's offering you something. You know, <clears throat> this idea of of conversion, you know, people say, well, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith. I always say you can't be a Catholic if you're not a convert. What do I mean by that? Conversion is to turn your life over to Jesus Christ, to move from one authentic Christian sect you know, where one is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and genuinely uh, worships Christ as 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 Lord and God, I don't think you're already converted. So what's going on when you come into the Catholic Church? You're fulfilling your catechesis. You're being catechized. You know, I believe the Church exists for three reasons: for evangelism, catechesis, and worship. Evangelism is getting to know Jesus. Catechesis is getting to know all about him and his bride, the church, and worship is falling in love with him. So that's, if you if you have given your life to the Lord and are worshiping, falling in love with him, what you lack is, is getting to know all about him. He established this church with its sacraments and its, its structure in order to make our way to heaven more sure. So, um, yes, 
non-Catholics can go to heaven if they, even without confession, because if it hasn't been given to someone uh, and they've not received it, they're not responsible for it. But I am. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. We will be right back with a word of the day, and I'll answer some phone calls. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. It's been good to you and me. Let's learn to live and work in harmony. Yes, I care about Detroit. Well, there you go in the words. The great American philosopher Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Apparently not. All right. <laughs> Let's go to the word of the day. I think it's fascinating. I don't know if you will think it's fascinating, but I think it's fascinating. The uh, In the Vigil Mass, we read that they were going up for the three o'clock hour of prayer, which really in Greek is the ninth hour. But what's fascinating about it is the word hour. Uh, in Greek, it's hora. In, I, what is it, Ashmeroth or something? I forget what it is in, in, uh, in Hebrew, but it's an interesting word in Hebrew. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, it's, uh, um, no, I can't find it. And I saw it somewhere in Hebrew, but Ah, we don't need to know it in Hebrew. It's it's a Greek word. But it's have you ever thought about this? That there are sixty sixty minutes in an hour and sixty seconds in a minute. Why not a hundred? Napoleon tried to make it a nice round hundred, but he didn't succeed. Everything we do is a hundred. It's metric. Or but except hours. Twelve hours in a day, or twenty-four hours in a day, that's two hunks of twelve. And that how did that we get it from the Babylonians through the Jews? Uh, and the, the Babylonians calculated they didn't use ten fingers, they used knuckles. So you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten knuckles. Uh, I don't know. I can't count my knuckles. <clears throat> but I can only count to twenty as I always say if my uh, if my shoe only if my shoes are off. But the the uh, we get it from the, the um Akkadians and the, the Babylonians, this uh, 60, uh, we would call it uh, when we learned the new math, which was very confusing, especially since I couldn't learn the old math. Uh, we learned the new math and, and you did uh, base 60. Well, we do that all the time with time. We can't do it with other things. But the word hora really comes from the Greek word to watch. I, I'm going to go out on a limb with that. We get it directly from Greek, Greek through Latin, through Old French, and Old English into Modern English. But it hasn't changed. It even keeps the H. Uh, um, in Spanish, for instance, it's H-O-R-A, which is pronounced ora. And we say our. It retains the H. It's a very ancient word, but it comes from the Greek word, I believe, horao, which means to see. We talk about the watches of the night. The idea is that we're keeping vigil, the watches of the night. And I think it is very interesting that Jesus said, could you not watch one watch, one ora with me, one one period of time? Um, 
that that to me is quite interesting. Um, that uh, we then we then uh, 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 move on to the liturgy of the watches, the litur- liturgy of the hours, and I really think that. If you don't know what the Liturgy of the Hours is, look it up. It's a wonderful way to structure your prayer life. It follows uh, the the morning and evening sacrifices of the temple. That's where we get it from, the sixth hour and the ninth hour. Or rather, was it the nine o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the afternoon? I think that's when it was. Um, But it follows that structure, and it goes back to something very ancient. So um, I, I think it's worth looking into that... Paul and Peter and John, they prayed at, they prayed the liturgy of the hours, even back then. And it comes to us through the monks. So the word hour comes from the monastic custom of keeping watches in the night. And, and that extends to the, the watches of the day, the, the, the 12 hours of the day. So I, I thought you might be interested in that. I was. So, well, let's go to phone calls. Yellow. Mark from Redondo Beach, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Thank you. Um, I betrayed a good friend. Um, She was away from the faith for 20-something years because she got angry at God when her mother died. And Mm. I met her, and we started praying together and going to church. Um, And then I hurt her very much, and now she's saying... She doesn't believe in God. She's never going to go to church again. And I'm wondering, besides praying, uh, what I can do um, to, uh, I guess, fix the damage. Because uh, I basically, in the true sense of the word, I scandalized her. I, I, I um, led her to, to leave, leave the Lord. No, you didn't. She never she you gave her a nice excuse. She she probably what probably was happening was that um, she found herself coming dangerously close to belief and the duties that it would impose on her. And what you did was a wonderful, wonderful way for her to escape. You I would stop beating yourself up about it. You apologized. And what I would what I would do is I'd write her a note saying, you know, I'm genuinely sorry. And um you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I'm not God, uh, but God still loves you. And then I would let it alone. I would not communicate with her at all. Uh, this is, you know, th- that if you scandalized her, you've been to confession, apologized to her, you've done the best you could. You haven't kept her from God. She's decided she doesn't want God. So I don't beat yourself up about it. Go to con- If you've been to confession, confess the sin the scandal and have apologized to her. You have done all you can do and need to do. Does that uh, help Mark? Yes, Father Simon, that helps a lot. And if you could pray for yeah. her, I'd appreciate it. I will. I will. I will pray for her. And thank I'll pray you, for Father you. Simon. Yes, yes. She's oh, probably really so deeply much. grateful, deep, deeply grateful to you for giving you, uh, giving her an excuse not to give her life to Christ because she doesn't want to. So, all right. Very good. Because Christians aren't perfect people don't believe in God, well, they're never going to believe in God because we're sinners saved by grace. All right. Good to talk to you, Mark. God bless. Let's go to Denise in Boston, Massachusetts. Well, I actually had two questions for you, Father, if it's all right with you. Um, 
I had a question. My husband and I, I was dying to go to St. Anthony of the Desert Church, mm-hmm. um, away from my parish, just to visit to see what it was like. Yeah. They had the most beautiful sure. chimes, the bells and that. And oh, yeah. the Mass was a little bit different from ours to what we're normal, you know. Yeah. And my husband and I have had a bloody big Donnybrook about whether we really went to Mass or not. I said, Bruce, it was a legitimate Mass we went to, I'm sure. He said, well, I don't think so. I don't think we met our obligation, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, I'm going to call Father and ask him. There you go. Call Father and he'll make something up. What's That's the name right. of the church? It was St. Anthony of, of the Desert. It was St. Anthony, Anthony of the Desert. In where? In Fall River. In Say that in Fall River? Yeah, the city in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's a Syrian okay. parish. Yeah, St. Anthony, oh, Anthony the Desert, Maronite Catholic Church, that one? In Fall River, St. Yeah. Anthony the Desert. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was Catholic. Yeah. The Maronites That's are Catholic. Yes. Yeah, yeah and yeah, we met yeah, our you know, obligation that day. Yeah, yeah, you did, yeah. The Eparchy of, of St. Maron, uh, the Maronite Church, yep, yep, yep. It, the Maronites, I believe, I'm fact, I'm absolutely sure. Let me just pull it up just to make sure I'm not steering you wrong. Because this is an important thing. Maronite. All right. I got it. I got it. Hold it. No, I don't got it. I got to I gotta erase a Z. I put Good it there for no reason. Okay. Maronites. Maronites. Okay. The Maronites are a Christian ethno-religious group. All right. And let me click on the Maronite church here. The Maronite church is an Eastern Catholic church in full communion with the Pope. Yeah. You went to Mass. No problem. It's one of the 20, 30 different forms of the liturgy in the universal, that is, Catholic Church. So you're golden. Okay. Now, what else can I do for you? I wanted to know, Father, because if it's true, I'm in a lot of, I mean, a lot of trouble. <laughs> I don't say, seriously, I don't say JC and I don't say GD. I don't say um, the other words. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. naughty words, not so much. I, I don't avoid those. And yeah. I was wondering, am I committing a sin when I say them, Father? Because I'll stop well, let, right away uh, if I am. All right. Well, good luck with that. Um, you know, I've learned to say good grief <laughs> because that's as, that's as strong an oath as I dare. Let good us look grief. at it. There we go. See, thank you, Charlie Brown. The, uh, uh, the word sin means a failure, a failure to tar- hit the target. And that really isn't what God wants for you. He wants, the scripture says, bitter sweet and bitter water cannot come from the same fountain. So in that sense, it's a sin. I don't think in your situation it sounds like it is a serious sin, but it's a bad habit. And you would you would glorify God more if you threw in some epithets that were not uh, as controversial. So I don't think you're going to hell because you use the occasional four-letter word. But on the other hand, there's no way to make it seem like an achievement. Does that help, Denise? Yes, Father, very much so. <laughs> there you, you go. So All right. Good luck with that. <laughs> All right. All right, Denise, thanks for calling. God bless. Let's go to Janice from Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Hi there, Father. How are you? Good, good. What can I do for you? Good. I'm a big fan. I just have to say that up front. I'm a big fan. I love to listen to your show. Uh, well, my question is you. about uh, how early can you pray to guardian angels for the unborn. I'm in a state where at nine months, abortion is allowed. And um, I've 
you know, taken a lot of coaching from Father Rocky saying, pray to your guardian angel, and I do. Yes. And I thought, could I pray to the guardian angels for the unborn, for these children? Well, I, I would say you could probably start um, at the moment of conception, because that's a human okay. life. And, and guardian sure. angels are given to every human being that's a human being. You know, this is not going to turn suddenly into a duck-billed platypus. So, you know, people say, well, it isn't a real person. I don't know about the person, but it's human life. And every human being has an angel that stands before the throne of God and stands at the side of that person. So, yes, I would say from the moment of conception, it couldn't hurt. So there you go. Does that help? Yes, it does. Thank you. Good. Well, God bless you. And thanks for listening. I'm honored. Let's go to Thank Alex you, from Matt. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, Janice. Let's go to Alex from Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Reverend Noel. I love your show. Thank um, you. Okay. So just to dive in quickly, um, I was just doing daily readings yesterday. I was wondering, um, how is it that, I mean, uh, St. Paul, you know, he was, you know, a student of Gamaliel, um, you know, I, it seems like a Jew par excellence. So how is it that he went yeah. and uh, preached to the, the Gentiles? There was a fascinating article. In, oh, yes. There was a fascinating article in Biblical Archaeological Review. Um, oh, this would have been at least 10 years ago. Why Paul went west. He was, his first language was probably Greek, which was the language of the Roman Empire. He was a Roman citizen and well, uh, well accomplished in Greek literature. We see that in the scriptures. And uh, I, I suspect that he reacted against the, the, um, the prejudices, the anti-Jewish prejudices that he experienced in, uh, in the Greco-Roman world. And went back to the old country and was going to become a Jew, you know, excel, as the reading said today, in Judaism. But then uh, he had this experience on the road, and the Lord let him know, you're going west. Um, it was a natural, because his, he probably spoke Aramaic. He may have spoken Aramaic at home, but from from his infancy, he heard Greek. He was a, he was a fluent speaker of Greek and an accomplished scholar of Greek literature and philosophy. So does that help? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah that, yes, definitely. It was Sorry, a natural. That, I like that answer. There you go. Well, that's that's what I that's my opinion. Well, thanks for calling in, Alex. I'm honored that you listen. Anne Marie, if you can mention it in real quick. Oh, there's the music. Um, what is the book of, on Revelation that Bishop Sheen recommended? I don't know. I'll try and find that out. There's a little note there. At any rate... Stay tuned to Drew because, well, he's a sharp cookie.